chapter 2. So if you have a Bible with you, if you got your phone out that you want to follow along with, you got your iPad, whatever it is you've got, pull that out, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to walk through that entire chapter today, try to get a good handle on what it is and what God is trying to say to us concerning this wonderful birth of the church. And that's what Acts chapter 2 is about. It's about the birth of the church. Church is about to be born. Peter's going to clarify what it means to be saved, how you go about moving from a friend of God to a family of God. And then lastly, he's going to give us a picture of what the church should look like, what the church should look like on a regular, consistent basis. All right. So all this is found in Acts chapter two, in Acts chapter two. I'm like, I get a little extra music going on today. Isn't that great? Oh, there it goes. Oh, well. Win some, you lose some. Okay, so what we're going to do today is I'm going to walk through Acts 2, verse by verse, and then we're going to kind of come back and we're going to look at the overview. All right, so we're not doing your outline to begin with. We're just walking through the entire chapter. Got it? So you can put your outline away. Some of you say, got it. Great. Good job. All right. right. So put your outline away. We're going to together walk through Acts 2. I don't have any notes on it. I'm just going to walk through it with you, make a few comments. See what the Lord has to say to us, and then we'll go into our outline that helps us get a better handle, a better handle on this entire book and what God is trying to say to us. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came. Pentecost, 50. Okay, this is eight weeks and one day after the Passover, also called the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks. This is a first fruits feast. It's a time when the various people would gather together and they would give to God a special offering, declaring him as Lord of all, but especially Lord of the harvest, Lord of the harvest. So these groups would come around from hundreds, even thousands of miles. They would gather into Jerusalem to honor God, to bring a special offering to him and to declare him as Lord of the harvest. That's how it took place at Pentecost, Pentecost. 50 days okay, after Passover, major feast. They were all together in one place. The they, we went back to it last week. We saw it's either the 120 or the apostles, there's 12 of them. It appears to be the 120. Okay, so there are 120 people. This is the church right now, there's 120 of them. So they're close to us. We're a little bigger, but not a lot. Okay? We're about 100 and we usually have about 160 in here, something like that. Sometimes we get up to 200. But that's the size. You're getting the picture and the feeling. They're all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the rushing, blowing wind. So it's, think hurricane. If you've ever been in the Midwest, I don't know if you've ever experienced a hurricane, okay, going along the coast or a special wind structure with that. Uh, where you have a variety of different types of wind difficulties, where these things come blowing in, you know, tornadoes, etc. They are incredibly frightening. But the sound precedes them. So you, you know it's coming when you hear this sound. You go, oh my goodness, or something like that. Okay? <laughs> and you run for shelter. You head down to, for shelter. Well, in this case, it says they heard this sound like a violent rushing wind, this huge sound. And it's huge, but they're going, hold it. There's no wind. There's no wind. What's going on? So they find themselves running towards this incredible sound that says that there are 
hundreds of thousands. In this case, there's probably about three to eight thousand people come running towards this to find out what is happening down there. It's about nine o'clock in the morning, about nine o'clock in the morning. So they're eating breakfast. They go, what's going on? They run towards this incredible sound. And when they get there, when they get there, this is what they see. They saw what appeared to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of these people. Again, either 120 or the 11. We don't know for sure which one it is. Doesn't tell us. He doesn't really care. The author isn't concerned about that because that's not his point. His point is that the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were there. Everyone there that is separated, were set aside for God, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And he uses the term tongues of fire. It's an interesting metaphor picture. He says it was some huge tongue, it separated, and then a tongue over each one of them. The reason he uses the term tongues is he says, this is what's going to happen. Each of them began to speak in a different, what? Yeah, tongue or language. The word here is glossolalia. Okay, so that, that's a, you, know, you can say that, say glossolalia. Didn't that just roll off the tongue there? Yeah. They get this, this glossolalia begins to happen. It says they began to speak in these languages. And Peter at first is going, what is happening? You have to understand that the only people that understand this language are those who know the language. How many people here speak a different language other than English? Okay. What language do you speak? Spanish. I know you speak Spanish, girl, very, very well, too. What other languages? What, what language do you speak, hon? Portuguese, okay? Okay, now I want you to stand up. Portuguese, Spanish, stand up. Stand up. Who else? What other language do we have here? What other language? Somebody else got another language? Stand up. Stand up. Any other languages other than English? Italian. Stand up, Mr. Peru. Italian. Okay, so we got, this is what I want you to do. We're going to pray together, and this is the words we're going to say. We're going to simply say, thank you, God, all together. I'm going to do the English. You guys do your language. Okay, ready? Thank you, God. Everyone together. Thank you, God. Say it in your language. Not to all you people, only the ones that are doing a different language. Come on. English, quiet. No English. We just want to hear the other language. Ready? Now, I want you to see everyone else speak in a different language. Come on, speak in Italian. Okay? Okay? Now, together at the same time. And keep saying it over and over. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is what's going on. Okay, now be seated. We got close. You're getting the idea how confusing it was? So that you're hearing all these different languages going all over. And if you don't know the language, you know what you hear? La, 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 la. That's what you hear going, what are these guys, drunk? That's what they said. Are these guys all drunk? And the guys around them are saying, no, he's actually saying, that one's saying my language. No, that one's saying my language. That one's saying, he's an Italian. Oh, this one over here, he's Spanish. Oh, this one over here, he's speaking in Arabian. This one over here is... This is crazy. This is crazy. What is going on? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues, languages, as the Spirit enabled them. And they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews. I just said that during the day of Pentecost, all these variety of people from across 
the nations had come in to celebrate and honor the Lord of the harvest. They heard the sound. They came together. They heard them speaking their own language. And they were amazed. They said, aren't these guys Galileans? How do they know my language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed, perplexed. They said, what's going on? And one of them said, they're all drunk. They just had too much wine. These are the guys that tried to ignore the fact they were speaking of the language. In fact, they didn't even believe them. They can't really be speaking in your language. There's the picture. But most of them, they're hearing the amazing wonders and glories of God spoken, say, Something is happening here that is out of the world. Supernatural, incredible, marvelous. What's going on? Peter stands up. Apparently, Peter wasn't speaking in tongues. Okay? Apparently. Because he stands up and says, okay. He doesn't say what I was doing. He says, as you look at all these things going on, these guys are not drunk at all. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Let me explain to you. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, God said, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men, they're going to see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And even they, the slaves, the servants will prophesy. There's nobody will be excluded. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. This is going to take place in just a little bit. Okay. Even though he's saying this, what's spoken about prophet Joel in just a little bit, they're going to say, they're going to see signs and wonders. The apostles are going to be getting laying hands on people who will be healed miraculously. God's wonders are going to be seen all over the place. Jerusalem is going to go crazy as God manifests himself in what we'd refer to now as a revival, a revival, marvelous, incredible, changed lives will take place. Fellow Israelites, he says, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you. You know about him. He gave miracles, wonders, and signs. God did this among you. He could say, you remember Lazarus? He's in the group here. Of the 120, and he was raised from the dead. He could have done that. He doesn't. They all know it, though. Many of them here are going, oh, yeah, it's Lazarus running around. These weird stories about Lazarus. You know, I don't know. This, this is a different guy here. This man was handed over to you by God. Deliberate. It was a deliberate plan. It was foreknowledge. He knew exactly what he was doing. It was a purpose. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. By nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead. He freed him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. That was the song we just sang, Victor's Crown. Death couldn't hold on to him. He was released, brought back to life. And for the last 40 days, he's been speaking to, interacting with, eating with, having a great time with Peter and the apostles, and some 500 other people. He's interacting with a variety of people. He's choosing who to, when, how, and where. He eats with them. He shares with them, sits around with them, answers their questions, and he taught Peter this thing that Peter is sharing with us right now. He says, even David says, I saw the Lord before me. 
because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart's glad. My tongue rejoices. My body will rest in hope because you won't abandon me to the realm of the dead. You'll not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the past of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence, fellow Israelites. I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died. And he was buried. And he's still dead. That's what he says. His tomb is found with us for this day. He was a prophet, though, and he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned by the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. We're all witnesses of the reality of Jesus' life. He was exalted now to the right hand of God, and he has received from the Father... The promised Holy Spirit that's now been poured out on you so you can see and hear. So that God would be able to speak to billions of people, not simply hundreds or thousands through Jesus as a single person standing in front of us or being on TV. But instead, the Holy Spirit could speak the words of Jesus to every single person here and people throughout the world. As we know now, number in the billions, over two billion people declare themselves as Christians or followers of Christ. David did not ascend to heaven. He said to the Lord, say to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured that this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Savior or Messiah. Both Lord and Messiah. Father, speak to us clearly what this means. Help us to understand who you are and what you've done. Thank you. Wow. The people heard this. They were torn in their hearts. And they said to Peter, what are we supposed to do? Peter, you told us this. What are we supposed to do? And he turns to them and he says, repent. Turn around. Stop ignoring Jesus as Lord of your life. Recognize what he has done and who you are and what your needs are. Repent and be baptized, declaring him as Lord and Savior of your life. That from that day forward, you'll live according to his truth, not according to your own ideas or thoughts or rumors or special insights. He will be Lord of your life. Allow him to forgive you your sins. And you will receive the gift, the Holy Spirit. Now that promise is for you and for those people some 2,000 years from now that will be speaking about the simple truth. It will continue on until Jesus comes back again. All those on whom the Lord will call are able to be brought in and become no longer simply ones who want to be friends of God but become part of the family of God, born again. So with many other words, he warned them, he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. The sermon wasn't that short, folks. You're thinking, wow, Peter just gave about three paragraphs. Pastor, you've been going on for like 20 minutes already. No, no, no. It says many other words. Okay, it keeps on going. 
clarify, 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 clarify. That's what Peter is doing. And then finally they go, okay, we get it, Peter. He says, they come in and it says, and so that day over 3,000 men responded and were baptized in the temple ponds there. Over 3,000 responded that day. Then he goes on and gives the picture of the church and he says, and this is what's amazing. Then what took place, Luke says, they began to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they found themselves saying, exactly what did Jesus say? What is this all about? Help us to grasp it. So they began to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. And there's a the in each one of these. By There is an article. It's to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. To the prayers. So you get a, a picture here. There is a specific direction they began to follow on a consistent Basis. They devoted themselves to these areas of what we call today ministry. And all the believers met together and had everything in common. Koinos, everything in common. So they had fellowship. This word koinonia, which means that we were all together. And common means to have, we all have the same thing together. So we all wore the same clothes is the picture or idea. Okay? We all wear blue today. That's the idea. We see they were, had everything. They sold everything that they needed to sell, as they saw other people had needs. So we could stand up here today and we'd say, "Okay, who has a special need? You might have a financial need, and that's usually what it's talking about here. You had a special need. They said, "Well, we're going to meet that need." So I come over to John Nelson, and John says, "I said, what's happening, John?" He says, "Oh, it's great. Life is good. That's what he always says. Life is good. Everything's wonderful." And I go, "Really? What's going on, John?" He says, "Actually, if I don't get two thousand dollars today, they're going to take away my." truck that's not true hey. those of you are thinking oh no we got to get over and give john two thousand dollars don't do that well you could probably give it. and i go what and he goes yeah i didn't want to say it i said man that sounds like a real need yeah it is and i go well you know something john i've got two thousand dollars he looks at me and goes so so i'm gonna give you the two thousand dollars to pay for your truck he's like seriously why? Because we're one. We've been called to be together. We're to have everything in common. You have a need. My car is paid for. John's like, you'd do that for me? Yeah. That's what it means. And they found themselves just continually gathering together and eating bread from home to home. You see, you had me into your home because guess what? John says, Lee, we go to my house tonight, you know, Liz would love to make you dinner. <laughs> or John will make you dinner. He's pretty good, too. I want you to come over and eat with us because, wow, this is incredible. That's what's happening. Get the picture? That's what's happening. They all have everything in common because they love each other so much. They're meeting each other's needs. If someone's hurting, they, if they break their leg, they carry them wherever they go. Whatever the needs are, they are meeting. It says they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. Breaking bread usually refers to the Lord's Supper. We use the term breaking bread here. It means the Lord's Supper. So they did the Lord's Supper in the temple. And they also did it in homes on a regular basis with glad and sincere hearts. You get that picture of glad? It's because we're meeting each other's needs. We're meeting each other's needs. They praised God, and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. That means everybody looked at them and said, man, what's going on there? 
Why would he do that? They're just taking care of one another. They don't even know each other that well. They're not relatives. What is going on? And they added to their number daily those whom God was calling and bringing in. Father, clarify to us this truth. Help us to understand it, to place it in our hearts. Change us as a result of this truth. We ask that you'll speak to us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now pull out your outline. You're going, Pastor, we've only got about, we've got lots of time. Come on. You're not going anywhere. Actually, we're in great shape. So, go back, grab your outlines. We're going to start back in chapter 2. So, we saw these terms and these words that he tried to help us understand. He used a, a variety of words here that is, is I would walk through it. I'd go, wow, that was, that was uh, insightful and thoughtful as, as he tried to help us grasp exactly what's happening here. So, well, that, that was interesting. Hmm. We used the term glossolalia. That was the language picture. We used the term oikos. And that meant from house to house. The word oikos we've talked about before is the picture of the idea of all those that we're involved in and we are influencing. We use the term koinonia. That's the term fellowship. Fellowship. That means that we are heart to heart interacting one with another. We use the term didaskala or didaskala from what we get didache. We sang the song. Now, if you saw this song, this is what I believe. That's called the Apostles' Creed. They put it to music. And what that is is the clarification of the Apostles' teaching. Okay, all the primary belief systems that the Apostles teach us concerning who Jesus is and what he's done. They put it to a song. It's called the Creed. And you sang it today and you said, I believe. We raise hands. We do, I believe. Some of you do more than the others. Okay, I get into it. I know. I'm sorry. I probably should go to the back where it's less, you know, like, look at the pastor up there. He's waving. He's on. I know. I, sometimes I just kind of get into it, but that's all right. You'll get over it. Then the word sozo, he said those who were added were being saved. We get the word sozo. That means saved. Can you say sozo? There you go. Good. See, now you can speak Greek. Yeah, it's very good. So that's the word saved. It means to be saved. And prosuke, which means to pray. It means to pray. Prosuke means to pray. And there's a variety of other elements of, of the term prayer there. So let's take a look at this picture. I think what you're seeing here are, are three pictures. If you went to my house, you'd see on the wall a series of pictures of my kids as they were growing up. How many of you have that in your homes? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a standard thing. We, we have the baby picture. You can't tell who it is. They always go, who's that? Oh, that's David. Really? Doesn't look like him. I go, yeah, I know. Okay. Well, actually, it was Mary. I was just fooling you. Okay, so... <laughs> They can pull our legs on those because we don't know who that is. So we have the picture of the baby. The baby is born. And we go, oh, there's the baby born. And we all look at that. And all babies kind of look alike. Not when they all get together, but they just have that general, it's the baby thing. All babies are cute no matter how ugly they are. They're still cute. It's true, isn't it? Isn't it really true? No matter how ugly the baby is, they're just cute. There's just something. It transcends ugliness. The babies are just, they're just like, wow, what a what a gorgeous baby. We usually have something like this. Looks just like your mom. Okay, you understand. Okay, you got, that's the first picture. That's where we begin to see the birth. That's the birth of the church. It's this, whoa, this is really weird, but I guess it's great. I don't, the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and we see the church manifested through specific languages spoken, declaring the miracles and the wonders of God. The birth of the church. That's the first 
section there. So that's the first picture. The second picture is they're getting a little older and they're beginning to take on some character. And we're going, oh, okay, second picture here. Second picture on the wall, they're a little older. And we begin to say, oh, this is what's going on. Here, Peter says, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. This is how you can respond to Jesus. This is what he did. This is what it means. This is how you can respond. And he's going to repeat that formula over and over in the book of Acts. You'll see the same thing being repeated. He's going to repeat that formula. And then lastly is the third picture on the wall, and that's when they're kind of grown up. And it's the picture of the church as it's supposed to be. It says, and they gathered together under the apostles' teaching, and they broke bread together, and they prayed together. They were devoted to one another. They were baptized. See that picture? That's the next thing of the church. So there it is. Does that make sense to you? Good. Because that's what's going on here. So with that picture in mind, first thing, Holy Spirit. Church is born. It's a live birth. Now, the original question for you guys was going to be today, have you ever seen a live birth? And Eric said, don't ask them that question. <laughs> said, thanks, Eric. You know. I do stuff like that. I go, why not? You guys can handle it. I said, but... It's called, this is a live birth. It's very messy. If you've ever been involved in a live birth, it's messy. It's like, whoa, that was... I remember when, my, when Joy was born, my firstborn, it wasn't just messy, it was scary. It's like, whoa, this is really, really different. Doc, can I go in the back room? You know? <laughs> no, 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 you need to stay here. And, you know, and the thing goes on, then there's the placenta. It's like, whoa. Messy, and then this beautiful baby girl. And we're like, this is a miracle. It's a miracle. And we're both crying and laughing. Like, yes, this is so wonderful. That's what goes on here. That's what's happening. It's this messiness of languages and funniness, and they've been together 40 days, and they've been probably quarreling a little bit, and suddenly the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and everyone in union begins to speak of the glory and the wonder of God. And this emotion falls upon everybody, and they're overwhelmed as God speaks powerfully and strongly. The Spirit of God Those who do not have the Spirit of God cannot accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to them. They're all drunk. He cannot understand them. You don't know this language? Because they're spiritually discerned. Oh, now I get it. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be what? Born again. Yeah, that's, uh, those of you who know the passage, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus says, what are you talking about? He can't be born again. Well, Jesus says, oh, but you can. In fact, you must be. Because if you're not, you'll never discern, you'll never understand the truth of who Jesus is and what's going on. The Bible becomes just a book. But when you're born again, the Bible becomes the very words of God speaking to our hearts and souls, changing us from the inside out. I'm like, I never understood that. After I became a Christian, I went, oh, my goodness. Suddenly it makes sense. I speak the language. Yeah. <laughs> you heard? Yeah. Wow. The Holy Spirit says, gives direction. He spends to speak to us. We hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own language. 
This new birth process begins with a takeover by the Holy Spirit. It's messy. It's difficult before the joy comes. I remember sitting uh, in a little church and it was, I, it was me and my friend were the only two people that had that were that were white. We're the opposite of Chris, you know, our, our youth fest, Chris across the way. So Chris, see in this situation, Chris is the only person here that, that's black. And he's not even in here, right? We need to go get that turkey. Okay. Yeah. But so if he's here, he's sitting there, he goes, you know, we need a little more color in here, Pastor. I said, yeah, I know. I totally agree with you, dude. But I came, it was me and my friend. We had about 250 people and I'm in the back row and I'm the white guy. Everyone else is black. And I'm going, I don't speak their language. And then the pastor began to speak out of Hebrews chapter 12. (laughs) And I began to understand the language. And the Holy Spirit fell upon me and powerful. I was like, thank you, Lord. 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 Could you please ease up on me, Lord? Thank you, Lord. (laughs) I was overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit as he fell upon me in wave after wave after wave. That's what's happening here. The Holy Spirit falls upon, begins to give direction. This new birth process is take over by the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak a language that they didn't understand. I got my favorite media thing. I want you to watch it because we're going to do this, and I'm going to walk to the next two things very, very quickly. Let's watch this media clip because it's so powerful. It reminds us of the change that happens when we respond to Jesus. I am lost in blindness, and I refuse to believe that I can see. One has to accept a life of darkness. Years from now, I can only tell my children not to believe that simple grace triumphs over utter darkness. I was born in sin, and I was conceived in sin. It doesn't matter to God that I live every day of my life in hopelessness. No longer can it be said that There is a God who hears the cries of his people. My whole life testifies to one truth. Blindness has robbed me of every good thing. And it is no longer true that God saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now I don't know much, but I know one thing for sure. I was born blind with no hope and no future. But then I met Jesus. And he turned everything in my life upside down. I was born blind with no hope and no future. Now I don't know much, but I know one thing for sure. God saves those who are crushed in spirit. And it is no longer true that blindness has robbed me of every good thing. My whole life testifies to one truth. There is a God who hears the cries of his people. No longer can it be said that I live every day of my life in hopelessness. It doesn't matter to God that I was born in sin and I was conceived in sin. Simple grace triumphs over utter darkness. Years from now, I can only tell my children not to believe that one has to accept a life of darkness. I can see And I refuse to believe that I am lost in blindness. That's 
what happens? It isn't that everything changes. It's that everything changes. That's the remarkable power of God. You must be born again. The baby's born. That's the first picture. The second picture. The baby begins to grow. There's an apostolic insight. He says the church is open. He shares, this is what the new birth means. This is how you can become part of this family. And not simply be a friend, but a family. No one has a clue what's happening here. No one has a clue what it means that Jesus died for their sins. No one understands what it means to be saved. Even later on, Peter will talk about Paul's writings. He'll say, you know, Paul is a bit on the erudite side. What that means is we don't know what the heck he's saying. And people confuse what he says and turn it into something that is not what he said at all. And if they do that, it will result in their destruction. Because the truth is the truth, and Paul has clarified it for us. We just need to look carefully and we'll discern. Don't deny the truth. Respond to it. Brothers, what must we do? And he lays out the ABCs. You must admit that you're a sinner. You must believe that Jesus died for your sins, that he is the Messiah, the one and only. And then you must commit yourself to him as Lord and Savior. The basics. The basics. That's what Peter shares with us over and over again. Admit, believe, choose. Allow him to be Savior and Lord of your life. That's the second picture. So we're beginning to get a definition. We're beginning to go, okay, there's some character there. There's some growth. There's some, it's obvious it's a boy, not a girl. It's obvious that he looks more like his mom than his dad. It's obvious all these things are beginning to take place. The third thing that happens, the church begins to grow up. The baby becomes a child. The church is seen with emotion and with action. Once you follow with this action of baptism, and then you find you're devoted to the one who saved you. She says the church was baptized and devoted to God's direction in their life. That was the beginning. And then they began to mature in their walk. And as they began to return their walk, the church gave clear direction. These were actions. The scripture says they were involved in the apostles' teaching. So the first thing he taught them was say, don't listen to Satan when he comes to you and says, did God really say that? Because that was in the beginning as he talks to Eve. And Adam, did God really say that? The wonderful thing, he's given you great advice. What did God really say? What did God really say? In fact, later on, as Paul goes to the Bereans, he'll say, the wonderful thing about this group of people is they turned and looked at the Scriptures and said, is that really what God said? They discovered, yes, it was. And so they responded to the apostles' teachings. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the three in one. I believe in the resurrection. The beginning? That's why we sing that song. 
The directive is listen to the apostles' teaching. Search it day after day after day. I remember as a young Christian, I was at my place in Point Arena with my dad, and a bunch of Mormons came up and began to share with me. And they shared with me, well, this is what the Bible teaches about this, this, and this. And I said, really? Is that what it teaches? And they looked at me like, uh-oh. I said, you know, I didn't. T- I, God gave me the gift of teaching, so it's really interesting. Even though I'm only six months old, you know, as a Christian, maybe eight months at that point in time, I comprehend what it means for Jesus to give us grace. And I comprehend what it means to be truth. And I comprehend these areas of Scripture you're talking about. Let's walk through this together again. And so we started walking through it together. And I said, no, actually, it teaches this, and it teaches this, and it teaches this. And they, they started backing up, and they started saying, as a matter of fact, you're called a number of words in the Bible, and they're not good ones. They're like, uh-oh, and they literally were running to their car. And I ran with them. <laughs> I wasn't, I was a little bit into it. I was mad. I was really angry. You guys tried to deceive me concerning the word of God. Who the heck do you think you are? And I was at their, on the window. They were rolling up the window in their car. <laughs> I was saying, how dare you come? You know, they drive. Now, that's not the way to do it. Okay, don't do it. Don't do that. But you're getting the idea? I was very... The reason I was angry is because I was beginning to listen to them. I was beginning to have doubts. I went back to the Word of God, began to study it more, and said, whoa, just a minute. They paid attention to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. This is opportunities to check and be involved with mature Christians. Like the statement of Ephesians, his purpose was that through the church, all the rulers and powers in the heavenly world will now know God's wisdom, which has so many forms. Through the church. You're the church. He's not talking about the pastor. He's one part of the church. But through the church, we clarify the wisdom and the wonder of God. Scripture says smart people get advice from mature people in the church. Fools don't. Confirm God's voice, God's direction through other believers. When you're with other believers regularly, you'll find yourself regularly getting on the right path. When you're not with them regularly, you'll find yourself going on the wrong path. It's the nature. See, the biggest reasons people mess up their lives is because they start doing things without support, confirmation, direction, understanding of mature brothers and sisters. If you're going to make a decision, it's a big one, talk to some mature brothers and Christians. Talk in your small group. Share with those who know more than you. They will be glad to tell you, to give you some advice if they know you really want it. You have to ask for it, by the way. The wise ones will not give it to you. They'll look at you and say, if you really want it, ask me for it. But I'm not going to tell you otherwise. So if you pull it out, I really want to know your opinion here. You really want to know my opinion? Yes, I really want to know your opinion. Okay, now I'll give it to you. And you probably won't like it. Because it won't go along with yours in most cases. Listen to mature Christians. Have fellowship Heart-to-heart, head-to-head. Fellowship isn't just sitting around and enjoying a great meal. It's sitting around and enjoying a great conversation about difficult issues and coming to conclusions that God gives us. 
Lastly, check your spirit. This is the breaking of bread and prayer. It says, then they gathered together. Not only did they look at the apostles' teaching, and why don't we ask the band to come up to close us today. Not only did they listen to the apostles' teaching, not only did they get involved in fellowship together, but it says they were involved in breaking of bread and prayer. So this isn't discussion so much as it is a gathering together in such a way that we're just enjoying one another. We're breaking bread, and that was referring probably to the Lord's Supper. And then they prayed together on a regular basis, just conversational prayer, interacting together, constantly praying. I, I hope that you feel comfortable with your brothers and sisters. You go, wow, they share with you something. Let's pray about that. Let's just pray. It's not, you don't have to bring them to me, although I'm glad if you do. But just pray right there. Say, hey, let's just pray for a minute. Father, let this happen. Turn to the person next to you. Put a hand on their arm or on their shoulder. Come on, everybody, put your hand on your shoulder. Go ahead. There you go. Got it? One arm in there. I want you to pray for that person. Say, Lord, I ask that you will abundantly bless this person. Just say that. Lord, thank you, Jesus. Amen. You guys are good at it, see? We pray together. We say, Lord, I need you in the midst of this. I desperately need your help. Sometimes people will start crying while you're praying for them. You're going, gee, I didn't, didn't realize. They're going, oh, no, no, I just thank you. Nobody's ever prayed for me before. Really? What a horrible thing. Regularly, breaking bread, praying together, having fellowship, discussions that are meaningful, not just whether the Clippers are going to beat Houston or whoever they're playing now. Yeah, Trailblazers, Portland. Yeah, thanks. So you go, okay, that's fine, but that's not meaningful unless you're on the Clippers. <laughs> okay? Meaningful discussion. What's going on? How about these, these struggles with politics? I want to be able to share with you. I'm really struggling with it. What do you think? And we get to interact together and find perspective and feel comfortable because we love one another. You see, Satan drives us with compulsiveness. God's Spirit draws us with compassion. And that's what we're supposed to be doing one to another. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make the children of God more like the Son of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make the children of God more like the Son of God. That's today's three portraits, three pictures. They're on the wall. Hope you got it. ABCs. Admit. Believe. Choose. Going to sing a song here. You can sing it with them. Then I'm going to close this up. All right? Think about what he's saying as you sing it. He's talking about I will.